as we continue in our journey along with Jesus and the disciples. Jesus now turns to a subject, and he's going to give us several little windows into this one subject. And it's religious righteousness. Can you give us three illustrations between uh, verse 2 and verse 18 here in Matthew chapter 6? So if you want to turn to Matthew 6, we'll pick up in verse 1. But as he now transitions, he's given us a seemingly impossible uh, new way of living. He begins with the Beatitudes. He's in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He's turned the world upside down. I mean, he's literally flipped the world on its head. He's saying, love your enemies. He's saying, be kind to those who spitefully use you and persecute you. He's telling us to do the impossible, isn't he? You know, as we, as we think of that in a human sense, it's just not possible. But praise God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Even what seems to be impossible, because Jesus himself said, there's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing impossible with God. And so now he goes on, and he's going to address something that I think we all, on both sides of the equation, both on the negative side and even sometimes on the positive side, struggle with a little bit. It's a word that we use in our society fairly frequently. We let it flow. We let it go. We kind of push it out there. And it's the word hypocrisy. He's now going to go on and he's going to challenge the status quo. He's going to attack religious righteousness. You know, we might look at it this way in our day and time. You know, a lot of people, believe it or not, hard to think of, but they even go to church for the wrong reason. They pray in public for the wrong reason. They go on mission trips for the wrong reason. They give for the wrong reason. They even do nice things to people for the wrong reason. And so Jesus is now going to settle in on this one point. And it's so important. He's going to begin with an area that we can almost all relate to. But God isn't looking like we do at the outside. You see a lot of people do what they do because they think someone else is looking. God sees our hearts. He's looking at motivation. He's not simply impressed like we would be impressed by someone's, in this case, giving. He's more impressed with the widow's might. He's more impressed with the last slice of moldy bread given out of need that he has all the money in the world, all the possessions in the world. He cares why we do what we do. So let's ask the Lord to speak to us as we continue now in verse 1 of Matthew 6. And a message tonight, oddly enough, tooting your own horn. I know nobody in here would do that. It's actually in this passage, by the way. 
I stole it from Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, in all how we need our attitudes adjusted at times. God, thanks for being loving and kind and gentle with us and helping us to see things from the other side of so many equations. And Father, we pray tonight that as we've gathered together, Lord, after a wonderful day of meeting in the morning and studying your word, Lord, just a time really to kind of relax a bit and let our hair down and hear your voice. How would you move in this place and instruct us and encourage us and strengthen us, change us, Lord, mold us and shape us. Help our motivation to always be right in all things. So we give you this time. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 1 here in Matthew 6. And so now he goes on in light of having pretty much laid to waste everybody's bad attitude. Right? He gives us the B attitude, then he reinforces it with these parables that are in the Sermon on the Mount. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. The reason he's using this in that day and time, because this is one of the biggies. This is one of the things that people did most frequently and most often to gather attention of others. And in fact, so much so that you're actually going to see it. They would literally toot their own horn. They would trumpet uh, before they did their charitable deeds. They'd, they'd literally hire like a little brass band. You like the band at Disneyland? You know, the one that goes down Main Street? You know what I'm talking about. And they all they play their trumpets. They got their little, you know, the drums and the whole thing. And they're like, you know, wherever they go, you can tell where they're at. Because you can hear the band. You can hear the sounds of that little brass band anywhere in Disneyland. It doesn't matter where you are. They would hire that little brass band to, whenever they were going to go give their offering before the Lord, they would get their brass band, the brass band would go in front of them, and they would, they would play the song, you know, their giving song. I don't know what it sounded like. Probably wasn't very good. They, you know, they didn't have electric guitars and keyboards at the time. It was probably some dudes on a shofar or something. I don't know. But they would literally blow their own horn. And notice what he says now. He says, when you don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. You see, they didn't do it because God didn't know what they were doing. Isn't that the weirdest thing? And what we do in the body of Christ, we don't do for the praise of people. I'm not here tonight for the praise of people. I'm here tonight, and I pray that you're here tonight for the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you've come tonight because you want to be well-pleasing to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, to the Savior of the entire world. Because he paid for your life with his. He loves you with an undying love. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You are more than conquerors. You are a victor. Death has been defeated for you. He loves you like no one on this earth can ever love you. You see, what we do in this life has to be motivated properly. He says, don't do those deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. I have all kinds of stories that I could recount to you about people coming and saying, I'll, you know, I'll do this if I can have a brass plaque somewhere in the church or a statue somewhere in the church or we'll build kind of an altar to me somewhere. 
had people come and offer very large sums of money, you know, well, I, you know, if you could just name the building after me. And I have to politely say, well, that's not going to happen. Because this building already has a name. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his. We can't put another name on it. It doesn't belong to anybody. It belongs to him. And no matter what you have, it isn't actually yours. It's his anyway, so you're just giving away his stuff. And therefore, when you do a charitable deed, see it, don't toot your own horn, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. You see, a lot of people's motivations are simply so that others would see them. And what the Lord's really saying here is, is I, I see through all that, and he uses a word here that uh, sticks out throughout Scripture, and it's normally pointed at the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. It was normally po- pointed at a very specific group of people, and that's those who were religiously being fakes. And so he uses this Greek word, it's hypocrites, and, and it, it is translated to us hypocrites, but it was really... Uh, best determined uh, by a Greek actor. And a Greek actor, normally, because they didn't have all kinds of CG. They weren't creating a computer-generated image in those days. And so if someone was going to change character, rather than have, you know, a thousand extras for the play that they were doing, they would have a single actor. That actor very often would have a mask, and it would have two faces on it, sometimes four faces on it. And so if he wanted to play one part, he'd just shift the mask around. And if he wanted to play another, he'd shift it once again. And so it literally came to mean two-faced. So when we use the phrase two-faced, it actually is from the Greek word hypocrite. And so he says, look, when you sound a trumpet so that you can be seen by God in the good things that you're doing, and he's using the example of giving here, and I think it's important, we need to stick to that, and we will in, in a few minutes. But it really goes to the heart of everything that we do. Whether that's teaching Sunday school or doing what I'm doing right now, teaching. I'm amazed sometimes that, you know, somehow we think that the praise of men is better than the praise of God. And it's not. God alone is, is worthy of our praise. And so he says to them, look, they, they do this in the streets and that they might receive glory from men. For assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. In other words, that's all you're going to get. Can I tell you the praise of men is very short? And the praise of men is very, very, very short. You want to see it in action. It's really visible in Hollywood, isn't it? You know, you have actors and actresses that for a period of time, you know, they garner millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars for just allowing basically their image to be used on, because quite frankly, most of them aren't that great of an actor or an actress, but they have a visible face. They have some particular characteristic about their acting skill uh, that allows them to be marketable for a while. And then gravity sets in. Age over time. 
proof that the dinosaurs did exist. <laughs> oh, you know what I'm saying. And all of a sudden, you look at them and go, you looked a lot better 60 years ago. I was, I was looking, and no disrespect, honestly, but you know, I was looking at Burt Reynolds, and he was, you know, back in the day, he was a pretty handsome guy. He looks like Skeletor. You know, it's just like, no, it's just, no, please. Just wherever you came from, just stay there. But the praise of men is fleeting. Somebody who made hundreds, I'm sure, hundreds of millions of dollars by just walking on the screen and, you know, driving cars with crazy people from the south. Now all of a sudden, nobody really cares. Can I tell you, that's actually the truth all the time. Nobody actually really cares. Save God. Save the Lord. And he cares from the time you're born to the time you exit this planet. Every stage of life, no matter who you are, no matter whether you're tall or short, or thin, or a little on the heavy side. He, he does, he's not looking at those. doesn't care where you live. doesn't care what you may have as a possession or not have as a possession. It all actually is his anyway. You know, God just loves you for you. And he wants you to love him for him. And so he says, don't be a hypocrite. Because when you go after the praise of men, what you got is what you get. But when you do a, char- do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And again, this is a, this is a Hebraic idiom. The right hand was the dominant, the primary hand. The right hand was the boss hand, so to speak. It's like this hand ruled and this hand followed. And in this case, it, it's, it's a very simple analogy. But what he's really saying is, is if your right hand actually can do something good, you shouldn't even let your other hand know what it is. It it needs to be in that way so that your hands can't get competing one with another. You can imagine your hands have a little hand war. No, let me do it. No, let me do it. I want to do it. No, you do it. Your right hand fighting with your left hand. Don't, don't, Don't let them do that. Don't even let it know what it's doing. That your charitable deed may be done in secret. And your father, notice this, get this, see it. Because this is really at the heart of all human hypocrisy. Everything that we can do for the wrong motivation really is in this, in this basic saying. That your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You see, that's a heart issue, isn't it? Isn't that a heart issue? That's a motivational issue. It's like, why do we do what we do? It's not what do you do, it's why do we do what we do? Because not everybody can do everything, amen? Some people have one gift, other people have another. Some have many. Some have very few. Some have lots. Some people have all kinds of resources. Some have none. And so can you imagine if God expected all of us in the same magnitude to do the same thing as everyone else? I can tell you this, some of the most blessed ministries have really tiny congregations. 
some of the most fabulous missionaries that have ever walked this earth, you will never, ever know their name. Some of the most wonderful deeds that have ever been known to mankind are also some of the ones that will not be rewarded when people get to heaven because they were, they were sold, in essence, on some TV channel someplace. You see, God's looking at the heart. He, he's checking us out to see how we're doing in here. Giving alms to the poor, praying, fasting, those are important religious disciplines of the Pharisees. And of course, Jesus is kind of taking a little bit of a shot here. And again, it's not to totally dismiss the wonders of what the Lord had done and giving the Jewish people a way to worship the Lord. Of course, that was good. But the Pharisees used almsgiving, giving gifts, monetary principally, but even food substances and those types of things. They'd use that to kind of one-up each other. It's like, oh, well, I gave, you know, 30 cents. Well, I gave 40 cents. Oh, yeah, well, I gave a dollar. And then they'd try and hire a bigger band, and whoever had the bigger band, the most trumpets, well, I have six trumpets. Well, I've got ten trumpets. And it was actually kind of a holy show. It wasn't to be more well-pleasing to the Lord. It was simply so that other people would think they were more spiritual. Now, can I tell you how that works out in our world today? There's a lot of people who speak Christianese. Yeah, brother. Oh, yeah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, man. Hey, and I was talking to you about, you know, like, uh, man, I was just reading in my Bible, like that John 3.16 verse. Wow, God is awesome. Total hypocrites. They're literally blowing smoke. You know them. You've seen them. They talk to you. Some of you ladies have been hit on by some of those guys. It's like I go to church because I'm, you know, because I'm holy. And really what it is is you, you saw that cute looking lady that was sitting over in that section. You kind of hope she sits there all the time. And see, God sees through all that stuff. He knows what's happening. He knows what's going on. He's not missing a bit of it. All that we do, he sees the heart behind why we do what we do. He knows why we come to church. He knows why we worship. He knows why we stand and praise. He knows why our hands are lifted up. He knows, you know, (laughs) we used to have a running joke. You can always tell when someone is trying to impress you with their prayer life because all of a sudden they speak King James English. O Lord God most high, thou art high and mighty and lifted up. And normally they don't actually know English. (laughs) And again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but God sees that. Just be you. When you're praying, just pray how you pray, how you would talk to God normally. You don't need to have a prayer voice. You don't need to have, you know, some specific style. 
Some of the most amazing prayers I've ever heard have been by little kids that have a 10-word vocabulary. I have wept some pretty serious crocodile tears hearing little six-year-olds, ten-year-olds. Jesus, save my daddy. No pretension. They don't want anything, but God to answer that prayer. They're not trying to impress anybody except the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus, save my daddy. God gets that. He understands exactly what that prayer is. And he understands the prayer where somebody's trying to make sure that everybody knows that they went to Bible college. I I have met the original 25 people that first went to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, like 175 million times. Oh, yeah, I knew Chuck personally. Uh, We, you know, can... He and I went out to lunch every day. Yeah, oh yeah, we were, in, we were in the tent. There's like a million and a half people that went to the tent. It only held a couple of thousand. It was only up for a couple of years. There's like 17 million people who went into the tent. It's like these magic words, these things we say to try and impress people. Well, yeah, I was there at the very beginning. And the Lord just sees right through it. You know what? Just be you. Be who God made you. God loves you. And you'll find out when you're honest with God and you're honest with people, then people can honestly love you. You see, our motive ought to be to just simply be pleasing to God. And the wrong motive means that the reward that we have is basically whatever we got out of this earth. And so he says, look here, let's, let's be careful of the danger in essence, of false righteousness, pretension. I read a story, it was in a, I think it was in Decision Magazine, it was a long time ago, the magazine of the Billy Graham Association, and it was talking about this very subject, but the the article was basically this, that they they had made a trip to India on a missions trip, and they were were watching these, these groups of these holy men, these ascetic holy men who would dress in, you know, really ratty clothes, and they would cover themselves with ashes and do all kinds of crazy things to look like they were uh, very decrepit. And, and he says, you sat and watched them. That every time someone would go to take a picture of them, because they'd be sweating and the ashes would fall off, they would get some new ashes and almost put it on like makeup. They would sprinkle more ashes on their head so that they really looked like they were destitute and poor and very holy. Is that how some people are that walk with the Lord? When somebody's looking, they're grabbing a new bag of ashes and trying to make themselves look like they're, you know, I'm just really serving the Lord. And you still don't need to do that. It just doesn't impress God. Religion becomes an act. Your relationship with the Lord becomes very shallow. Your humility, God sees through it. it, it he sees it as a sham. And when you go through scripture, you're going to see some interesting things. You know who the first hypocrite was? Cain. Cain. He was feigning worship. He he brings out an offering. You see, God wanted this bloody, horrible, nasty-looking mess of a dead animal. 
And, and what does Cain do? He goes and he does like some topiary flower arrangements and brings back this beautiful kind of a gift basket. And look, here it is. He was being a hypocrite. God had asked for a sacrifice, sacrifice. He brought something else back. And when his hypocrisy was unmasked, remember what his response was? It was a heart issue. He murdered his brother. Absalom, same story in King David's life. Hypocritically vowed allegiance to his father, King David, all the while plotting to overthrow his his reign. God sees through those things. Probably the biggest hypocrite in the entire Bible was Judas, Judas Iscariot. Amen? You see the hypocrisy there? Hanging out, oh, you know, let me hang on to that money bag thing, you know. I'll take care of that because the rest of these guys, they don't know how to do accounting. So I'll take care of it. And then he betrays the Lord with a kiss. Ananias and Sapphira, same, same group. They, they went so far as to, to lie to the Holy Spirit and it cost them their life. I mean, it was one of those things like, what do we need to say to make sure that we all get it? That we all get our hearts right in all the things that we do. God knows who we are. You ever think about that? You know, sometimes we're so busy trying to impress other people, we forget that God knows exactly, he sees through every little subtle nuance that we're, we think that we're putting out there so people will be fooled by it. People come all the time and they bring all kinds of, you know, things to me and, you know, oh, well, you know, you really need to deal with this and, you know, there's, there's this guy doing that and, you know, this, this guy, he's over there, he's hitting on the girls and the whole time this dude's just trying to throw a smoke screen up for the fact that that's exactly what he's doing. It's like sleight of hand somehow works in the kingdom of God. It doesn't work in the kingdom of God. God sees right through it. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Spirit explicitly says in the latter times that some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, by the means of, same word, hypocrisy. He says that's how you'll actually be able to see people who don't really know the Lord. They're hypocrites. They pretend to be one thing while, while being something else. So much so that it finally just sears their conscience. Through the prophet Amos, Amos chapter 5, verse 21, it says, I hate, I reject God speaking. I reject your festivals. I don't delight in your solemn assemblies. He said, you guys do church really, really well. You do church really, really, really well. But God says, I can't stand it. I hate your church. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings, your grain sacrifices, I won't accept them. I won't even look at your peace offerings. Or your fatlings, the first of your, of your flock. Take those away from me, the noise of your songs. I don't even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like ours. You see, he says, look, get real. Get real with me. Don't play church. Those religious acts, as they were prescribed by God, certainly they were acceptable in the way that God prescribed them. But, but God's looking at why we do what we do. And this is so important for us. This will set you free. If you're one of those people that, you know, you do things because, you know, you kind of feel like that's what other people are expecting of you, can I just set you free tonight? 
You want to do what God expects of you. You're never in your entire life going to be able to please everybody. You won't. There's something I learned a long time ago in ministry, and it really doesn't matter uh, how large the church is. If there are 10 people, there's 20 opinions. And, and if there's 10 people vying to do the same thing, there's 20 ways to do that same thing. You, you can account on one thing, and that's is you won't be able to please everybody. So you want to just focus in on pleasing God. People are going to have their little things that they say. And God's just simply looking at why we say them, why we do them, what we do, why we do it. Interesting story. He came out of Florida. And actually, it was quite a while ago. I think it was about 20 years ago, back when Delta and Northwest Airlines were battling. But in Florida, some vandals had cut down six of these big, huge royal palm trees. It's like, you know, kind of like what we have in Lomita. You're on Miami's Flagler Street. And since the palms are very expensive, Dade County couldn't afford to replace them. And so there was a billboard behind there. And now this billboard was perfectly visible. And so, of course, you know, somebody seized on it before it was hidden. So Delta Airlines had, had, the, had the billboard previously. They noticed it was kind of a nice billboard foreground because now they had planted these 15-foot palm trees in front of it, so it just had the palms and this fly Delta. And it was after that, somehow mysteriously, uh, those palm trees all died, and they found out it was a guy from Northwest Airlines who had poisoned them. You know, it's just like, oh, one person's good deed is going to be messed up by somebody else. They figured they could just get away with it, and, you know, it would be like some way to get ahead. God sees all those things. He sees when we do dumb stuff. He sees when we do things for the wrong reason. He doesn't want our sacrifice. He doesn't want our, our just our simple offerings. Jesus, throughout Scripture, remember, he's, he's called the Pharisees, those who, who live kind of in a hypocritical way. He called them whitewashed tombs. He called them sealed tombs. He called them tares amongst the wheat. He called them wolves in sheep clothing. Uh, he even compared them to leaven. He says, you know, you guys are like leaven. You put too much yeast in something, and you get something that's full of hot air. That's the way it goes. Back in that day and time, one of the things that Jesus doesn't actually mention here, but it kind of went along with the same uh, particular incident as he's looking at this this whole scene you have the trumpeters going before the pharisees and interestingly enough at the time in, in the court of praise on the edge of the court of praise there were these kind of they're almost like a trumpet shaped uh, cylinder and that trumpet shaped cylinder was where you could deposit your coin and when it went into the cylinder it actually made noise and so the more coins you put in it the longer, it's kind of like those things you can drop a penny into and they spin around in the mall and they go for like, you know, 20 minutes. Now imagine that you're bringing your offering before and you have a little brass band go before you and then you go over and you like dump all your coins, like the Coinstar things at the supermarket. And like, and it does that for an hour and a half. It's like, oh, that guy must be just really holy. I mean, look how much he gave. He didn't bother to tell everybody that the widow's mites, and it was a penance compared to what he actually had in his possession. And so at the same time, when they would do things like have a funeral, they would actually hire professional mourners. 
And those professional mourners were so good at mourning that they actually had special garments of mourning. And when you were really, really, really sad during that day and time, you would tear your garment. Well, guess where they would tear it? Right along the seam at the top so that it could be repaired by the next morning so they could go back out and do some more mourning in the morning. So it wasn't like this, you know, just because your garment was very valuable, you wouldn't grab it in the middle and just tear it to shreds, that'd destroy the garment. They'd literally tear it at the seams. It's like, oh, I'm just so upset. No, actually, you got paid to do that. You did it for money. That's a hypocrite. That's someone who has a pretense of doing something that's, you know, I'm just so you know, absolutely overcome with grief. And that type of, of living before the Lord is exactly what you would think it is. It's a play. It's, it's like this drama, and it just goes on with people, and they begin to live their life that way. And pretty soon, people wonder sometimes why there's very little evidence of the, of the Spirit in their life. It's because they're not being real with God. People come, they, you know, they buy big, huge... I remember like it was yesterday. Growing up in a denominational Baptist church when I was in my teen years, it was that day and time where study Bibles first became available. And they weighed like 87 pounds. And so I had a study Bible. And I thought, man, I am really holy. And so, you know, I'm lugging around. I got this nice big, you remember those fatty 1960s, early 1970s Bible covers? And, you know, everybody had one. And it's like, you know, it usually said Jesus saves on it or something. But, but every, you know, it's just like, oh, you got the, yeah. You know, oh, look, it's got study helps. And, oh, you must, you study. <laughs> yeah, I read and I study. You know, it must be holy or something. And then I saw this guy come to church and he literally had one of those big, huge coffee table Bibles. So man, if 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 mine and he's he must really be holy. I mean that thing weighs seventy four pounds or something. Two guys carried it in. It's like a play, and people are going, "Oh yeah, well you're no look at my Bible." Be careful, because God just sees through all that stuff, and you want to be blessed. You guys want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'm mood greedy. I like to be blessed. I like God to appreciate the things that I do for him. And so I need to have a right heart to do it. Because I do it with the wrong heart, then he doesn't really appreciate them. He says, look, yeah, that's on you. It's a good thing still. But it's for the wrong reason. And so he uses this example, and I want to close this really quite quickly, actually. And so he uses giving he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so the right hand was the primary hand of action. And basically, don't, don't let those two hands even communicate to each other. And it's not really saying that you can't do anything and somebody know about it, because we see that all throughout Scripture. That's not true. Blessed are those who keep justice. Practice righteousness, Psalm 106 tells us. Isaiah reminded us, they seek me day by day in delight. What nation has not done the righteousness that they have done? You see, even, even nations sometimes know the things that we do. We can't keep everything totally secret. But the point is that we should do nothing for selfish motivation. 
It's not so people will see us. If they see it, that's between them and God. The question is not whether we do our good works, but whether we're doing them to be seen. The difference between, really, between purpose and actual motivation for that purpose. And so he says, look, make sure that your giving is that way. Make sure that what you do financially to support the work that God does falls into that, that mold, that mindset. Somebody came to me, and, and I have this happen, believe it or not, fairly regularly. And, and they'll usually say something like, when they're trying to get something, well, you know, I, I gave this and I gave that. And I will just tell them, I'm sure you did, but I don't know. And they'll go, what do you mean? I, say, I don't have any idea what anybody gives in this church. I have zero idea. None. Don't want to know. Will never know. Not something I care to even think about. Because number one, you're not giving it to this church. You're giving it to God. Happens to reside for a period of time in this church, but it may end up in India or... Peru or the Philippines may end up helping us do some of the things that we do around here to try and make sure that we're able to minister effectively, but it doesn't belong to me. I don't even know. Couldn't care. And the reason I'm sharing that with you is some people, some people give with some pretty serious strings attached. It's almost like they're buying some kind of a boat with their giving well, you know, I'll do this, and then maybe, you know, I can determine what color the sanctuary is. I actually had somebody ask me that. Well, if I give enough money, can I, can I decide what color the sanctuary is? I said, no. Because if I did that, we'd get into a bidding war. I said, number one, it's not for sale. It's God's house. We'll just pray about it and see what the Lord says. If he tells us to change the color, we'll change the color. He said, when you give, you, you give to the Lord. You just let him have whatever it is that you give. It's his. I said, oh, okay, I think I, I think I get that. It's amazing how many people don't realize that what we do, we simply do because God is worthy of us doing it. We don't do it to get anybody's praise. It needs to be genuine. It needs to be sacrificial. The things that we do should have a central motivation. It's our responsibility to take the things that God's given us and use them wisely. It's, it's the way to, to have God just say yes and amen to your life. And this way, sometimes when I'll talk to people about these things, I'll say, you know, if you want God's very best for your life, then give him your very best. When you give him your very best, he will give you his very best. He's just watching your heart to see if you really want to be blessed or not. I don't know about you. I like being blessed. You see, these things are an issue for us because we're so used to doing things for hidden motivations. Nothing is hidden from God. And that's really the story here with this aspect, with, with the aspect of giving. He says, just do it in secret. The Lord knows your heart. You want a reward from him. You don't want a reward in this world. Make sure that your heart is right when you do it. And your father who sees those things in secret will reward you openly. You know, the crazy thing is, when God decides to reward you, 
going to be mind-boggled at how good God is. The amazing goodness of the Lord. It's not some marketing scheme. You know, sometimes when you watch certain programs on television on a channel that shall be nameless, it's almost as if you manipulate God long enough and hard enough and you plant this seed and plant that seed and do this and do that that somehow all these things equal a new car or a new house or a new jet or monetary something. That isn't how God works. He may reward you with peace like you've never had. He may reward you with keeping you from getting cancer. He he may reward you with a restored marriage. He may reward you with your children doing well and walking with Jesus. He may reward you by doing exactly what Malachi chapter 3 says, keeping the destroyer from your door. Isn't that crazy? Think about that one. Sometimes people talk about Malachi 3 in the sense of, of giving, and it is, it's true. He said, test me in this. See if I will not pour out upon you a blessing that you can't contain. But I love the part about keeping the destroyer from your door even more. It's a secret to your car lasting more than four years. Your shoes don't, your sandals don't wear out. You know, you just have this crazy thing to where it's just like, I don't even know how we got here. Must be the Lord. You can't outgive him. So make sure that what you're giving him is with the right heart. Amen. I'm going to bring the worship team back up. I'm going to have some guys come forward. Maybe you've got something going on in your life. Maybe you've got a need. You just want God to, to help you with it. We'd love to pray for you for those things. We're going to worship for a few more minutes. and Then we'll dismiss you and let you go home. Back out into the mission field tomorrow to share. But make sure what you're doing, you're doing because you just love Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, so grateful for tonight and, Lord, for the patience of your people. Lord, for the wonder of your word. And, God, we do recognize that there are times when we're tempted to try and see that people see. And, Lord, we don't want to do that. We just want to be well-pleasing to you. And we thank you for that. A motivation, Lord, that put Jesus on the cross. He wasn't motivated because he was going to get something out of it. You were going to take everything from him. You were going to allow his body to be bruised and beaten and broken and his blood spilled. Lord, no, no glory, no majesty, no fine funeral, Lord. We thank you that you first loved us that way. And so, Lord, let us love you back with a whole heart without any hypocrisy, no acting. Lord, may all that we do and all that we say bring you glory and honor and praise. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen.